What's up, Redemption Church? How we doing? Yes, I'm not Byron. I'm the campus director, Ethan, and I'm so glad to be with you today. Uh, this is our Redemption online experience, and this is a special day because this is our last day that we will be hanging out in my home. It's also Bo's home, too, but it's going to be the last time that we're here. Next week, we're going to start up our online experience at the church. You can RSVP. There are limited spaces, so be looking on all of our on all of our online exp, uh, all of our online uh, platforms that we have to see whenever we open that up to you guys. But I am excited about it. How many of you are excited about moving back into our church building and just getting back to the good old church building? Go ahead and comment down below. And I have another question for you guys. How many of you? have something in your life right now that would give you anxiety if you let yourself think about it for more than 10 seconds. Anybody out there? I know for sure that is me. If you don't have something, you probably will tomorrow. And if not tomorrow, then the next day. That's not a negative comment, but that's just kind of how life works. You know, life is real and we never really know what God uh has in store for us. We never really know what life has in store for us, but we can know who God is through the midst of it. So today I want to speak to you guys on a theme that I have seen throughout Pastor Byron's preaching since all the way back in 2019. Yes, 2019 was only five months ago. 2020 has been a really long year, but I want to preach uh, today and speak to you about worship over worry. You can't always choose what life throws at you, but you can choose how you respond to it. Are you going to worry or are you going to worship? For me personally, this is a real struggle for me. Um, I get caught up worrying way too much. For those of you who don't know, I am an Enneagram 6. And for those of you who don't know anything about the Enneagram, it's a personality test, and all you need to know about a six is that we overthink everything all the time. And when I say everything, I mean everything. You can ask all of my closest friends. I am the king of overthinking. I remember going to Walmart whenever I was a little kid with my mom, and every time that we would go to Walmart, I would have uh, a chance for like 10 minutes to just check out the toy aisle and just kind of see what was around it. And then out of those times, uh, there were a few times when I was really lucky and my mom would say, hey, you can go ahead and pick something that you want and you can bring it back with you. Well, this one particular day, I remember uh, on the toy aisle, there were these really cool small superhero action figures of the Power Rangers. And when I was five years old, Power Rangers were the coolest thing to grace the earth. Shout out to all my 90s kids. And uh, I had two favorite characters. I had the Red Ranger and the Green Ranger, and they had both of them. My mom said, okay, you can have one. So I looked at them, and I looked at them, and I thought about it, and I thought about it some more, and I thought about it a little more, and then I started getting anxious. I started getting, like, real anxious. I started getting pretty much as anxious as a five-year-old could possibly get. And whenever my mom came back, she said, okay, Ethan, it's time to go pick out what you want. And I said, mom, I can't do it. I don't know which, I, I don't know which one to leave with. And so she 
pulled the old mom trick and said, okay, hand them both to me. I'm going to put them behind my back, left or right. So I said, okay, let me go with the right one. Pulled out the right one. It was the Red Ranger. Unfortunately, whenever she showed me that I was going to go home with the Red Ranger, I realized that I still had no idea what I actually wanted to go home with. And so what I actually ended up doing was um, instead of picking one and leaving home that day with an awesome new Power Ranger toy, I put both of them back and I left empty handed. I know that sounds really dumb and it is, but you know, that's how many of us end up living our lives. Uh, We live with anxiety and fear, which causes us to make really weird decisions and a lot of times leaves us empty-handed and full of regrets. When you choose to worship, though, over worry, you you never have to leave uh, feeling regretful or empty-handed ever again. And so this title of the sermon today will be How to Live a Life of Worship. And our scripture today will be Psalm 37, 1 through 9. If you don't know about the book of Psalm, it is a book of poetry written way back in the, game, way back in the day by a guy named David and a couple of his people. Uh, you know, I wrote a poem once. It was a love letter to... Um, it was a love letter to my girlfriend in the seventh grade, and it was terrible. So I don't want to talk about that love letter today. So we're going to take a look into David's love letter to God. We're going to look at his poems and see. David was a very interesting person. Uh, he, was, he was someone who, well, let me not get ahead of myself. Let's go ahead and just jump into the scripture. Let's do that. Psalm 37, 1 through 9. I'm going to go ahead and read it for us right here. All right. Verse 1. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself it only causes harm. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. So this right here is worship. There are different types of worship. You know, you have your songs of adoration uh, to God, like, God, you are the greatest. Jesus, there is no one like you. Your name is above every other name. And then we have what we see like here in Psalms 37, you see part of worship is also the building up of yourself in your faith in the Holy Spirit, taking the principles and teachings of God that you have learned throughout your life and reminding yourself. So building yourself 
up. And we see that here in Psalm 37. If you're taking notes right now, go ahead and write this down. This is important. Worship is not just the songs you sing, but the life you live. Yes, David wrote this as a song to be sung, but the song really points to something deeper. It points to living out a life of worship. Think about it like this. The best songs that we know of are born out of our lives. And the same thing here with David, uh, that this, this song, this psalm in 37 was born out of his life. We don't want to just sing songs of worship, but live a life of worship. David was one of the most prolific individuals in the Bible. If you don't know who David is, maybe this will jog your memory. David and Goliath. Yeah, it's that David, the same David. He started off as a shepherd boy. He was chosen by God. He was, he was picked out by a prophet, chosen by God to be the future king of Israel. He slayed a giant and saved the Israelites from the Philistines. He became a warrior in King Saul's army. He became a leader. And at one point, David also became a fugitive because Saul's heart grew hard towards him and he grew jealous. And so he had to run around and, and hide. So he had a lot of ups and downs. His best friend, Jonathan, was murdered uh, on his behalf, um, trying to protect David. And uh, David did end up becoming king. He was also a sinner. He was a man of repentance. He was someone who always turned back to the Lord when he stumbled. And for that, he was known as a man after God's own heart. And of course, David was a worshiper. He sang, he danced, he played instruments, he wrote songs and poems. And scholars believe that David wrote Psalm 37 in his old age. So whenever we read this, this is an older, wiser David who has seen a lot of life that he's experienced the highest highs and the lowest lows of life. So do me a favor as we look through this verse and, and let's look through the eyes of King David as we, as we see and think about a man who's seen a lot of things and, and that he's experienced all the different levels of life that we go through. As we look at this verse right here, we'll start five ways to live a life of worship. And we'll start with point number one, safeguard your thoughts. Verse one says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Safeguard your thoughts. Remember that God will not forsake his saints. That's you and me. David says, fret not and do not be envious. You should ask yourself, why does David say this? Because he knows that we all deal with these things. He says, fret not, do not worry, stay calm. Don't let your passions overwhelm you. And do not be envious because we are quick to be envious of others, especially when we know that they're doing something wrong and it seems like they are being rewarded because of it. I've been an evildoer before. I've been a wrongdoer before. While I was in 
college, I made a deal with my dad that as long as I stayed living and under his home, that I would mow the lawn. And I hated mowing the lawn. We had a really big front yard and an even bigger backyard. And of course, all we had was a wonderful old school push mower. I hated mowing the lawn. And one day I decided, you know what? I'm going to skip out on the backyard because no one ever goes back there anyway. I don't even think anybody would notice. So I'm going to go ahead and skip out on this. So that's what I did. And uh, it worked out well for me. Even though I went against my deal with my dad, uh, it worked out well because nobody noticed. So you know what? I went ahead and did it again the next week. And then I skipped out again the next week and the next week. And let me tell you that I got what was coming to me. I eventually had to go back there and cut that whole yard that had been sitting there for like a month and a half. It took me like an extra five hours and some change to, to a, lot of, a lot of sweat and maybe even a little bit of blood to cut down that grass that had grown this big all across the yard and all of the bushes and everything else. And it was terrible. So, uh, you know, like it says, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. I felt like I was fading away and withering as I had to take up my consequences and, and work with that. So when we envy and worry and act as wrongdoers, we forget that there is an end game for that way of life. They will fade like the grass and wither away like the green herb. We forget that sin ultimately leads us to action uh, or to that sin ultimately, ultimately leads us to regret. And it is a good thing to remind ourselves that our actions have consequences. So safeguard your thoughts. Remember that God will not forsake you and that he is a just God. You and I will spend the rest of our lives fighting our flesh, our selfish desires, our sinful nature. And you have two choices. You can choose to pursue sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to pursue the Lord, which leads to life and life more abundant. The way that sin works is it looks fun and it looks exciting and enticing and all of those good things in the moment. But we can forget that there's always consequences for our sins. And we need to remember that God is calling you to himself, which means that he's calling you to a life of righteousness. Not because he doesn't want you to have fun, not anything like that at all. It's quite the opposite, that God wishes to see you live a much more enjoyable life that breeds good things rather than death and destruction and having to work an extra five plus hours on a backyard that was absolutely miserable and I just wanted to die. So that is safeguard your thoughts. The second way to live a life of worship is to spend your time in his presence. Verse three says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Stay in the presence of God. That is where you were designed to thrive. The first action that we see here is to trust. How do you build trust 
in a relationship, you spend quality time with them. And David is writing to us that we should trust in the Lord in all aspects of our life, no matter how hopeless it may seem. And I think it is a good place to be whenever you can say, I trust Jesus when I cannot trust my circumstances, others, or even myself. When you can't trust anything or anyone, you can trust God because God is trustworthy. Build relationship with the trustworthy one. Spend your time in his presence. The second action that we see in this verse is to do good, trust and do good. As I was reading a commentary over this, uh, the author pointed out that there's no period in between. This is a little nerdy, I know, but I thought it was really interesting that there's no period in the sentence between the two actions to trust and do good. In other words, you can't just verbalize your faith. Your faith must also be accompanied by right action. What happens when you spend a lot of time with other people? You start to begin to look like them. And that's how you find those right actions. You spend time with the Lord. Their little mannerisms and characteristics begin to rub off on you, right? I can give you a great example of this. So I never used to squint my eyes ever because I have, you know, 20-20 vision. There's no reason for me to squint my eyes. But my girlfriend, she would squint her eyes all the time. And she does squint her eyes all the time. And I thought that she was doing that to give me like a little attitude. So I was like, okay, I'm going to mess with her and I'm going to do it right back at her. So I started squinting back at her. And one day she asked me, why are you squinting your eyes at me? Like, what's wrong? And I said, well, I mean, you did it to me. So like, why wouldn't I do it to you? And she, she was like, Ethan, I can't see. <laughs> I have terrible vision. And I was like, oh, okay. And now I created a habit from someone else where I just squint all the time for no reason, even though I know that she was doing it because she couldn't see. But it's a mannerism that I picked up on because I spent time with her. And that's what happens whenever you spend time with God, that you pick up on mannerisms and characteristics of God. And that's how you begin to live out in right action. Um, another way to look at this would be, we are meant to do our lives with God. Relationship is everything. And every relationship book in the world worth its weight tells you the same thing, that you need two things to make your spouse happy and to have a healthy relationship. And the two things are trust and do good. Trust them and do good by them. Trust and do good. Let's repeat that. Trust and do good. This is so important. So spend time, spend your time in his presence so you can learn to trust and do good. And if you are going to go ahead and spend time in his presence, you should learn to enjoy that at the same time. Let's look at verse four. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. David says, delight yourself in the Lord. Spend your time in his presence and stay in his presence. Delight yourself in the Lord. This is one of those verses that is often taken out of context. Growing up, I saw this verse and I thought, I hit the jackpot. The Lord will give me the desires of my heart. Okay, okay, okay then. All right, Lord, um, I want a Mustang convertible. That's what I want. That's the desire of my heart. Okay, Lord, um, while you're at it, let me go ahead and get this, get this 
good job. Let me do this job. I want to get this job. And uh, also, while you're at it, the desire of my heart is definitely to pass this organic chemistry test. And, uh, oh, you know what? You know what, Lord? You, you want to know what the desire of my heart really is? That uh, Ashton, you know, she's real cute in my biology class, if she would uh, be my girlfriend. That was the way that I looked at this, this verse. And that's the way that many of us look at this verse and, and a lot of times how it's preached. And uh, I got to say, it's just like a really uh, immature way of looking at this scripture. And I was thankful that I've had um, good teachers around me to, to correct me on that so that I could understand it a little better. Now I look at this verse and I see it as he will give me the right desires. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. It's not about what fancy car or new job that you can get. It's about getting the desires of the, that the Lord has for your life. I'm less interested in what I want for my life and I'm more interested in what God wants for my life. And the more time you spend with him, the more his desires become my desires. When I find myself delighting in the Lord, my desires shift from the things of this world to the things of God. And he will be faithful to fulfill your desires because your desires are found in him. And that's when you will begin to see life transformation. This is good news, redemption, because earthly desires are fleeting and can never promise you that they can fulfill you. But heavenly desires found in God, he promises to fulfill those within you. So spend your time in God's presence. And now we've looked at our mind, we looked at our time, and now we're going to look at our heart. The third way to live a life of worship is to set your heart on his way. So let's, let's pick up in verse five. It says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. Verse six, he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Commit your way to the Lord. Let your way be his way. Some of you have lived your whole life up to this point right now, living life your way. And you know, my hope and my prayer is that you have reached a breaking point and you realize that your way hasn't worked out so hot for you. Remember, worship is not just the songs that we sing, but the life that we live. And David says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. And David knows that when you do commit your way to him, and you do trust in Jesus, when you set your heart on his way, God promises to bring out the best in you, that he promises to bring out the best parts of you into the light. Let's continue reading. And he shall bring to pass. What is that? What is God going to bring to pass? In verse six, he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. See, I love this. This really ministered to me as I was studying through it that this is a, a promise to us from God that if you commit your way to Jesus and you trust in Jesus, 
God will bring forth your righteousness. And I don't think it's a coincidence that he uses the word light right here. We, we see all throughout the, the New Testament where Jesus says, I will transform you. And he does this by purging the darkness and the, the sin from our hearts. This is a process known as sanctification. Jesus says, give me your worst and I will give you my best. My righteousness will be your righteousness. You know, it takes a lot of commitment and trust to bring your worst before someone else, to put it in the light, to take your ugliest, most shameful parts of who you are and put them in the light. David knows that if you set your heart on his way, if you commit your way to him and you trust him, if you bring your ugliest, most shameful parts into the light before God, then he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Jesus says, if you'll let go of your life and go my way, not your way, but my way, what's Jesus' way? What's the way of forgiveness and of transformation and, and dying to your flesh, dying to your desires, dying to your earthly desires? Because you didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. You only have to accept this way. When your heart is set on his way, he says he will bring forth your righteousness as the light. And your righteousness comes from his righteousness. So your identity is no longer about what you do, but it's all about what Jesus has done for you. And you start to follow in his way and you'll discover that in your life more and more every day, who you really are, who God is calling you to be. And let's not leave off that last part of uh, verse six, that he will bring forth your righteousness and bring forth your justice as the noonday. I want to let you know today, and I know that someone needs to hear this, that we serve a God who fights on our behalf, that Jesus already fought for us 2,000 years ago on the cross, and he came back resurrected and victorious, and he fights for you to this very day, that you can serve a God who fights for you, that your justice will be brought forth as the noon day. And this leads me into my fourth point. My fourth point. Settle your soul. Your soul is made up of three things, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Let's look at verse seven. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out his evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It only comes, it only causes harm. <clears throat> now, with this verse, it looks pretty familiar, right? Because the end of verse 7 and all of verse 8, it, it pretty much recaps the verses from uh, verse 1 and 2. We see fret not, fret not, fret not. And let me make sure. Yeah. Fret not, fret not, fret not. That's three times that we've already seen this statement in Psalm 37. David has lived a long life. 
He's seen a lot of heartache in his life, and he's seen a lot of celebration in his life. He's seen the terrors of a man's heart and what we are capable of. He says that getting caught up in anger and wrath, fret not, stay away from these things. Stay away from malice towards others because it will only do you harm. And I know he's speaking out of experience. Each of us have plenty to focus on by working out our own salvation with the Lord. So settle your soul. Fret not. The best thing you can do is be still before the Lord. So back at the top of verse seven, it says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. You want to know what be still before the Lord means in Greek? Here it is. Chill out. Settle your soul. David says it right here in verse 7. Be still before the Lord. Chill out. Settle your soul. Listen to me right now. The best thing that you can do whenever life is confusing, when things get hard, is to be still before the Lord to settle your soul. When life gets crazy and you are confused about a situation or a circumstance, the last thing that you want to do is let your soul get the best of you. David reminds us that when life gets out of hand and you're freaking out, the best thing you can do is be still before the Lord. Why? Because it's easier to hear someone speak when you are quiet. I think that's very important to remember. You want to know what to do? You want to know what God's heart is for you on a situation? Stop trying to think your way out of things. And that speaks to me because I overthink everything. Stop trying to think your way out of things. Oswald Chambers has a great quote. He says, we often attempt to think rather than obey our way out of confusion. Now, that is a good quote. This preaches to me. And... Um, I hope it preaches to you too. So be still before the Lord. Number five, stand firm on his promises. It says in verse nine, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the earth. God is who he says he is. We can stand firm on his promises that he is a good father, that he's calling you to him, that he's a God who fights for you. He's a God who, who works on your behalf, that you can experience real life change through Jesus because there's power and authority in the name of Jesus and who he is. And I want you to know that you don't have to get caught up in the same destructive patterns that you've always been in. This is an opportunity for you to stand firm on his promises. That's what it means to live a life of worship, to stand firm on the things that we know. And we know that God is good. We know that he fights on our behalf. We know that he's calling us to him, that he wants to replace our righteousness with his righteousness, that he wants to transform your life. And not only so that, that you can live a better life, but so that you can go out and tell others about how to live a better life as well, that, so that they don't have to get caught up in their own destructive patterns, that they can find a way out. And their way out is a new way, and it's his way. 
So stand firm on his promises. It says, the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. David reminds us how it all ends. For those of you who don't wait on the Lord, this life is going to be the closest you'll ever get to heaven. And for those of you who do wait on the Lord, this life is the closest you will ever get to hell. Stand firm on the promises of God because things will end in a way that you may or may not like, but it's the way that things are. And you have a, a chance to be cut off or to inherit the land. And so I pray that, that you choose to inherit the land and spend your life with the Lord. You know, towards the end of uh, his life, King David recounted all of his experiences and saw the destruction and regret of living a life of worry. And he saw the value of freedom in living a life of worship. So you can choose to live a life of worry or a life of worship. What are you going to do? Are you going to live a life of worship? So let's go over it one more time. Five things, five ways to live a life of worship. Number one, safeguard your thoughts. Your first battle will always begin with your thought life. Don't let your passions overwhelm you. When you see those around you doing wrong and you have envious thoughts that they're just having a lot of fun doing this or they're being rewarded for their wrongdoings, remember that their time will come, whether it's today, tomorrow, or the next day, it will come. And you don't want that to be you. Remind yourself that the boundaries of God that are given to us are not meant to constrict our lives so that we don't have fun. It's actually meant so that we don't live a life of self-destruction and we can live a life of abundancy. So safeguard your thoughts. Number two, spend your time in his presence. Stay in his presence. That is where you were designed to thrive. You can trust God because he is trustworthy. And you should do good because faith should not be just a verbal thing. It should also be shown through action. You will begin to do more good just because of association with God and being with him and spending time with him. Delight yourself in the Lord. As you spend time with him, you will find out that your desires shift to better mirror the goodness of God. Remember, his presence is where you were designed to thrive. So spend your time in his presence. Number three, set your heart on his way. Commit your way to the Lord and he will bring forth your righteousness. Set your heart on his way and not your way. And you will see freedom and transformation take place in your life. That is set your heart on his way. Point number four, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do to live a life of worship? Settle your soul. You're gonna settle your soul. Be still with the Lord. We often attempt to think rather than obey our way out of confusion. You can't obey God unless you hear from God. And you can't hear from God through the confusion of life unless you be still. So number four, settle your soul. And lastly, number five, 
Stand firm on his promises. Know that God means what he says and that he is sure to fulfill his promises on the good and the ugly. And know that you want to be on the good side of this. Know that God is calling you to himself, that he's already created an opportunity for us to be reconciled back with him. All you have to do is give your life to Jesus. Jesus died. He, he lived the life that we can never live, the perfect sinless life. He died the death that we all deserved. He rose and resurrected in victory, showing that we can rise in victory with him as well, that we don't no longer have to be dead to our sin, but we can be made alive in him. And he's always calling us to more. So stand firm on his promises. That's the five ways that we can live a life of worship. So you don't have to live a life of worry anymore. You can choose to live a life of worship, and I pray that you do. I think it's worth it.